You were in my dream last night. Ooh. We were like in a alternate dimension kind of thing that we like went through this portal and we were like in this cool world and it was like mostly a hedge maze. Um, but like we were kind of sneaking through it with this girl who was teaching us places to go and we ended up in like a warehouse for, I think it was like a Converse factory or a Vans factory or something like that. I don't know, but there was also a restaurant in it and we were with Robbie Cave Town and we were drinking kombucha, but neither of us liked it. media mumbles i'm julia an english major and i'm abby and i'm a film student would you like to talk about the rule of thirds <laughs> oh the rule of thirds fancy up in here all right in the episode of criminal minds um because okay what i'm bringing to the table today i would like to tell you that i did something different <laughs> Literally since last week. I I am not joking. This is not like hyperbole or anything. I have done nothing except go to work and sit in my bedroom and crochet. And both of those activities, I am watching Criminal Minds at the same time as doing those things. Since last week, I have watched... Like, I'm on season seven now. I think I was on like season one or two last week it's unhealthy at the speed at which i'm consuming criminal minds but the reason i was i was reminded of that was because um it was this one episode i think matthew gray goobler directed it but like they were doing this shot with like two people talking and they kept doing that thing where it's like you see the back of someone's head and then the back of the other Mm -hmm. person's head and i was like oh wow utilizing those cool little camera techniques are we matthew gray goobler Wow. A basic Anyways. dialogue scene. Love I know. It. I'm like, ooh, we're getting real fancy <laughs> up in here with the basic dialogue. So this is a podcast where we discuss, talk about, interact with, examine, sleuth around in um, the media that we love or the media that we found this mm-hmm. month is our extended extenderino Ghibli month. It's going to be six weeks, baby. We're on week three out of six and this week abby is talking about princess mononoke and i don't know if i'm gonna be doing it justice because this is a dense movie and uh i feel like we say this every week but it's never not true we are or at least i am in a weird mental space right now <laughs> um, i think we're just like constantly in a weird mental space. yeah as, as if there's a time when i'm not in a weird mental space but um i'm also uh still waiting for my advil to kick in so that's the other it's, a, it's always a new flavor each week it's a new flavor of weird mental <laughs> space um we're just as uh, you've watched our progression in like <laughs> Just whatever mental space we've been rocketing towards yeah. the past, like, months we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. If I ever actually get to go to therapy, I'll just tell them about this podcast and be like, please just listen to the intro of every one of these podcasts <laughs> and you'll kind of get an idea of where I'm at. Yeah, it's like, if I can't explain it to you, my ramblings in the first three minutes of my podcast will. Yeah. First, though, are you drinking anything today? I am. I have... um some cranberry juice which i like oh, a nice. lot uh and it's in a mug that says you make me a happy camper and it's got a picture of a trailer on it <laughs> and it's real cute but um wow it's also uh i use cranberry juice to down that giant advil i've never seen an advil so large in my life but i did it and i'm proud of myself and i only almost puked a little bit so you're doing great i love yep. that for you what are you drinking um i made a lemonade and i decided to use strawberries as the ice cubes so it's like a little yummy strawberry lemonade and it's so pink nice it's a pink pink drink hey sisters (laughs) um yeah the other day i tried uh putting some just a bit of the raspberry grenadine 
in a lemonade, so it didn't make much of a difference to the taste, but it did make it very pink, so I was like, eight. (laughs) I would just drink straight grenadine if I was given the opportunity. It's so good. Yummy, 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 yummy. Yummy. Give me that Shirley Temple, baby. Baby. So what are you consuming, Abby? Um, not a lot. Uh, I have been watching old episodes of Drag Race, though. I don't know why. It's just a nice background noise, I think. I think it's something that doesn't take a lot of mental space to watch. um, Exactly. Which I wish I was able to watch more new things when I actually had the time, because I feel like I should be. But um, if there's something that has, like, a formula that you like, you know how this is going to go down, it's a little bit easier to consume, especially while you're trying to do other things. So mm-hmm, exactly. Um, what you what you consuming, babe? <laughs> um, at a very rapid pace, Criminal Minds. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a very good show. I didn't like. I don't. I I don't know. I guess I did expect myself to get this addicted to it. Um, I was <laughs> open to the possibility of it happening, but it. Oh boy, it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's gotten to the point where it's like every scene that Reed is not on screen, I'm like, bring him back. <laughs> where is he? I want him here and I want him here now. I watch for the twinks and the twinks only. <laughs> Amen. I just want to see that skinny bitch Matthew Gray Cooper. <laughs> That's all I'm here for. Uh, description <sighs> of Julia's entire lens of media consumption. <laughs> No, <laughs> I also love Emily Prentice a lot. I'm very mad at the show um, because three of the characters were supposed to be gay because the creator is a gay man. And then CBS said no each and every time. Cowards. Cowards. Very much they are cowards, yes. Reed was supposed to be bi. Emily was supposed to be a lesbian. And Penelope Garcia was supposed to be a lesbian. Disappointed. Okay. Um, I feel like we should get right into this. I didn't take notes while I watched it because I watched it not that long ago. This is not a regular Ghibli movie, folks. It's very different. No. Um, I didn't even actually get yeah. to the checklist TM because I think it it doesn't... Like, it definitely gets some, but it doesn't get a lot of them because it's so different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not in, like, a bad way, but it's, it's, not, it's not my neighborhood Totoro, is it, huh? <laughs> no, it's... It is an action movie, which is cool. Yeah. Like I enjoyed it, but like it very much is like an action adventure movie, yeah. like versus the kind of more slice of lifey kind of movies that all the other ones are. Yeah, no domesticity. Yes. <laughs> um. So this was released in uh 1997 in Japan, and then in uh 1999 in the U.S. Um, and it's like the first one that the U.S. kind of advertised as an actual blockbuster like they had obviously released Mm. all the other ones in the u.s at some point yeah um but they kind of went under the radar to like the masses um Mm -hmm. because like obviously the people who like were into animation and film and stuff and like the critics and stuff were like yes of course (laughs) um but -hmm. it wasn't as mainstream um but because it was getting into public consciousness because of things like uh Totoro and Keys Delivery Service and all that, they were like, okay, we're gonna actually put out posters, we're gonna put out trailers and all that stuff. Like, this is happening. Like, <laughs> this is a thing. Um, it was also coming right off of uh, Porco Rosso. Um, so he's kind of continuing his I hate war and it's bad and I'm mad about it yeah. <laughs> themes. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. So it was uh, the best box office selling movie of like basically all time until Titanic came around. Ah. Uh, uh. Dang. Which Titanic ruins so like many that, things. <laughs> um, yeah. But it remained the highest grossing in Japan uh, until Spirited Away came out. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I think Spirited Away still holds the record in Japan as highest grossing. Nice. Only beat out by their own yes. company. <laughs> Similar to um, like the best, every best game list in 2017, where it was like Breath of the yep. Wild, Mario Odyssey. Yep. Breath of the yep. Wild, yep. Mario yep. Odyssey. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so on top of the commercial success it was obviously did extremely well critically this was uh, yet another of the intended retirement movies Um, (laughs) we're like this is gonna be the last one babes get ready I'm leaving no 
No. No. <laughs> no, he is not. No. Although I do think that this time round, uh, I think it's planned for 2023 or something. I think this is probably going to be the last one. Um, is my guess anyway, because the like mm-hmm. the tagline from what I heard from it is um, Miyazaki is leaving, but he's leaving this as a gift for you to find after he's gone. So <laughs> feels feels pretty final, and it's feels yeah. yeah, and it's very much like about just like the artist experience kind of thing. So mm-hmm. like the Wind Rises was absolutely that. Um, but I think this one is getting more into like the humanistic side of it, which is always yeah. fun for a Miyazaki film. We will talk about The Wind Rises later, hopefully, because it was supposed to come out on Netflix on August 1st, and it's not there. So hmm. I don't know what's up, but I'm very scared because it's my favorite Ghibli movie, and I was supposed to do it this week, and that's why we're not doing that. So, whatever. <laughs> um, we could just watch it illegally online simultaneously. I know I can, again. but fun. I just I want it. I want it in good quality <laughs> that's fair i mean a uh, pro tip that i learned recently because i don't fear god nor the government um <laughs> and i will watch movies anywhere i can find them and my mom's always like scared and other people are scared and i'm like literally just it's fine just watch them mm-hmm. but if you put if you look up the title of the movie and then do ok.ru there's like a weird russian video player that has like every movie on it nice. and it just takes you there yeah, it's fun. I watched uh, uh, Kill Your Darlings on there, and I watched But I'm a Cheerleader on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have... I uh, feel like we should talk about this more later, because I haven't written out my thoughts on it, but Miyazaki is very much against um, streaming in general, so I'm very surprised that Disney somehow got a hold of it in the first place, and now it's on Canadian Netflix. Still not on American Netflix, yeah. though, so... He's still fighting. He's still out there. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Because he feels it takes away from the special experience of it, which is very pretentious. I'm but sorry whatever. that I don't have the money to rent movies every time I want to watch them. Yeah, yeah. It was the first animated movie to win Best Picture at the Oscars, so nice. that's really cool. I'm surprised it wasn't a As Disney it movie. <laughs> yeah, but this is actually a good movie, so. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a very good movie very good i movie. quite enjoyed it when i watched it today. yeah I'm, I, I loved reading your reactions because it's it's so it's so much it's a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean after a while i did stop taking notes because i just kind of like forgot to because i was just engrossed in watching yeah yeah i didn't do notes throughout but i have seen it like three or four times now so i feel like i should know <laughs> the plot <laughs> Um, which it does have. It does have a plot, which good is job. cool. There's cool and good with like a setup and like a like a outside actions that actually happen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't have my checklist here, but um, do you have it on like your phone or something from your own copy? Uh, yes. Uh, some form of flying. Not uh, really. No, there's like long jumps that shouldn't happen but um they have the spirit god form that's very large and lets all those tiny uh kudama corpses just fall from the sky which is fun yes but that's not flying (laughs) no uh young female protagonist kind of yeah she's not the main she's not the protagonist no she is also the main character (laughs) the movie's about her (laughs) she is the titular character Um, City by Water. Yes, yes. Iron, Iron Town. Town. <laughs> Iron Town on the Water, baby. Magic, Fantastical Elements. Yes. Y- yes. Yeah, I think that's just, like, it. that's why it's on the checklist, but it's a 100% given. Like, yes. <laughs> there's no, there's, even if it's not magical, like, this one's kind of more, like, spiritual yeah. than magical. It's like, there's still that fantastical. Yeah, like, I think the like, only two Ghibli movies undertone. that don't have it as much would be... The Wind Rises, the only fantastical elements take place in his dreams, which is like, you mm-hmm. know, it's still there, but it's not linked to reality. Um, yeah. As well as uh, From Up on Poppy Hill is very... Which is just depressing. Yeah, like her, she writes stories that's really fantastical and stuff, but... Um, uh, and they actually have the first ever Ghibli movie to have a sequel, uh, which is The Cat Returns. That is a very fantastical movie, which is based off the story she writes in uh, From Up on Poppy Hill. But 
Yeah, I think those are the it's only from two. Up on Poppy Hill, like the super sad one, or is that the Grave of the Fireflies? No, no, that's Grave of the Fireflies. That's the really okay. sad one. <laughs> that one does gotcha. kind <laughs> of have... They have, like, implications of, like, mm-hmm. life after death type stuff. Uh, well, there's vaguely European architecture, which I don't... This one don't is know. very kind of more like Japanese industrial. Based. Yeah, I feel yeah. like when I wrote out that list, I kind of meant to say, like european or japanese but japanese like they mm-hmm. are japanese films so i feel like it's weird to say like wow it has japanese architecture when it is by japanese yeah. people um well it's kind of like every every film made in america being like it's either new york or san francisco exactly. <laughs> so. those two places <laughs> um uh, men with huge bushy mustaches they do have those uh in the beginning when they're having the meeting uh no dorky dad they're no. are dorky men. Yes. But they're more just like those goofy yeah. goofy dudes. Like a dorky husband at one point. Yes. But... Gorgeous food shots. Um They have the soup one that looks alright. Yeah. There's one where they're like cooking in the forest. Yeah. And rice and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Eating rice. Uh the strong willed loud woman. Lady Eboshi. Yeah. <laughs> And like every woman that lives in Iron Town, they're all like, yeah. They actually had, <laughs> um, oh, I forget her name, but they had like an actual woman who studied feminism as part of their team to help write all the women mm. on there, which was pretty cool. I want to try to see if I can find that her is name. really cool. One absolute himbo. Uh, Lady no. Boshi's bodyguard. I don't is think so. Kind of, well, he's not kind, so I guess he's not a himbo. <laughs> No. He's missing the heart. (laughs) The heart and himbo. Uh, Usually some kind of travel slash journey. Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, he's traveling to get his curse lifted. Uh, And criticism of war and pollution. Yes. That is the whole movie. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) And that's it. So, it feels quite a few of them. Quite a few. Uh, So, I know that this movie is tied to one of the most legendary Hayao Miyazaki stories maybe ever. So yes, I, I know feel like one. it's necessary to talk about that first because <laughs> no one's yes. going to be able to concentrate on anything until I tell the story. So uh, basically, while this movie was being prepped for its Western release, they had to do things during the translation process that went far past just going from Japanese to English. Um, uh, the actual script had to be tweaked by Neil Gaiman. Uh, so that certain nice. lines and actions would land in American audiences. Uh, he added dialogue to explain the cultural weight of cutting hair, uh, which definitely <laughs> wouldn't land in the mainstream uh, American audience, um, as well as making mm-hmm. Jigo <laughs> describe the soup as donkey piss instead of watery. Because <laughs> like, mm. in Japan, to describe a soup as watery is like such a drag, but that would like really <laughs> float over people's heads, I guess. <laughs> And I guess donkey piss is the only equivalent to that drag, but okay. Wow. Um, so yeah, just like a bunch of like changes and stuff had already been taking place. Uh, mm-hmm. And that stuff really causes tension uh, with Miyazaki because he's been burned many times before when it comes to changes in English dubs. Uh, so even after all that and more, uh, Harvey Weinstein, bleh, disgusting, bad, um, who was in charge of the Western release, uh, he wanted to massively edit and scale back the runtime of Princess Mononoke. Um, the original is just over two hours, and like at this point, like he's Miyazaki, he can do how whatever he wants. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. Um. So obviously, this was not cool with Miyazaki, especially since previously, when he had let Disney touch his stuff, they chopped off twenty-two minutes out of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Um. Which is a marvelous movie, and I'm very sad we probably won't get to uh, talk about it in this round of movies, but you should go watch it. Um, it's like his okay, one of his very first, uh, I guess, as Ghibli, um, because he had one before. Yeah. Castle of Kegeliostro was his first uh, as a director, but that was like in a partnership, I believe. Um, mm. Anyway, <laughs> so in Nausicaa, not only did they, they kind of like changed the message of the movie in the way they edited oh. it, was which was weird. Um, and they also advertised it, like, completely different. Um, they renamed it to Warriors of the Wind, um, and made, like, these weird off-brand posters that make it look like an 80s action movie, like He-Man or something, which is absolutely Mm. not what it is. It's actually very, very similar to Princess Mononoke in a lot of ways. But they, they, like, put a character on the poster that's, like, a robot man who has a ray gun who is not in the movie at all and they have nausicaa like in the background and she's blonde which she is not in the movie 
It's so oh. weird. I'm gonna maybe I'll try to put it on the Twitter to see how wild this is. So like he's definitely been burned before in this area. So he was like, yeah. I do not want anyone touching this. This is mine. Stop. But like uh, Harvey Weinstein kept pushing for the cuts and stuff uh, until eventually it wasn't actually Miyazaki, as many people think, but it was Miyazaki's <laughs> producer. But at Miyazaki's wishes, um, mm-hmm. went out, bought a katana, packaged it up, and mailed it to Weinstein with a note that simply read. No cuts. <laughs> Period. Uh, if only they had used that katana against Weinstein. Yeah, they should. They should have. I think it was a uh, uh, how they described it. It wasn't a real katana, but it was kind of sharp and it looked really real. <laughs> so I imagine it would have been quite a bit of money. But um, yes. when Miyazaki was asked about it, he said, actually, my producer did that. Although I did go to New York and meet this man, this Harvey Weinstein, and I was bombarded with this aggressive attack and all these demand for cuts. Um, and then the interviewer says, he smiles and says, I defeated him. <laughs> <laughs> this just in, Miyazaki defeated Harvey Weinstein. He defeated him. <laughs> Absolutely annihilated. <laughs> Nothing remains of Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Just dust in the wind. I love this man. <sighs> so anyway, Miyazaki is a treasure and I love him. So that's the story. Uh, and yeah, he he's criticized Harvey Weinstein like a bunch of times since then being like, I do not care for this man. <laughs> like, hell Yeah. Um, no one else does either, my man. This was my um my first time watching Princess Mononoke. Yes. I've never seen it before, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, it was a movie that had the lovely ability to keep my attention mm-hmm. the whole time because the pace was fast enough for me. Because I have um um issues with uh paying attention yep. mm-hmm. and staying on task and watching things without 800 other things going on mm-hmm. so it was, it's always really nice when a movie can can grab me yeah. and this one definitely <laughs> did so that was very fun thank you Miyazaki <laughs> sorry for the paper wrestling there um let's see yeah I literally wrote a lot is happening I enjoy this movie's pacing yeah <laughs> it's like a really cold open <laughs> like Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I don't think any other Ghibli movie has as abrupt of an open as this movie does. No, it's right in medias res. Yeah. Like, cold open, danger spaghetti boar. We're here. It's happening. <laughs> yes. Um, As soon as, um, what's her name? Lady... Lady Eboshi? Lady Eboshi, yeah. Because um, she's introduced pretty early on, too. Yeah. And like, okay, literally as soon as I heard her voice, I was like, is that Gillian Anderson? It was in fact Gillian Anderson. She is um Scully from X-Files. Did you watch <laughs> the dub so or the much. sub? I watched the dub. Isn't Lady Eboshi played by Mini Driver? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's Mini Driver. Maybe there's a different... Did you watch it on Netflix? Weird. Yes, I did. Strange. Maybe she might have been the original voice, possibly. I don't know. Maybe. Never mind. Then I'm dumb. <laughs> it just sounded like Julian Anderson, and then I googled it, and it said Julian Anderson. Yeah, maybe she plays voice. Let me go on IMDb because yes. Google doesn't list any characters; it just lists the cast. Mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke. Claire Danes plays Son in the dub, which is cool. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. Jigo. <laughs> I I don't know how to feel about Ashitaka's voice actor, like, Billy Crudup, because, like, I just... Like, I think it fits, but also I feel like there's so many areas that he should have had a little bit more feeling. <laughs> like, he was just uh-huh. very, like... I don't know. I feel like he didn't react to anything ever. I just put a little, yeah. a little bit more. I just wanted a bit more from you. You just seemed kind of bored most of the time. So she played Moro. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. I still love her so yeah, much. Yeah. But Mini Driver for Lady Eboshi, she does such a good job. Like, she is. She does a she really is the good job. Standout of all the voice actors in the dub. 
Would you like me to just read all the random notes that I wrote down and then you can react to them? Yeah, I have a few random notes, but not like a lot. Like just one or two. <laughs> you can read my, my first impression notes. Okay. Uh, so I'll read them in order. The first one, Immaculate Journey Setup. Because mm-hmm. it's just kind of like just getting them ready to go. Um, when he was just like literally chopping people's arms off with his arrows, I was like, dang, okay, curse arm. <laughs> Um. Oh my gosh, that that when he dismembers those samurais. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, "Oh, oh, so this is what's happening." Okay, <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> like, Danger Spaghetti Board was like a lot, but I was like, "Okay, yeah. I can I can handle that." And then I was like, "Oh, hmm. <laughs> the arm's just gone, huh?" <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah, because I am. I feel nothing. Yeah, it's just, it wasn't uh, that it was like any material. too bad. It was just, I wasn't expecting it from a Ghibli movie was more yeah. of the thing. <laughs> I mean, I was like, uh, I've been told that it's violent. Yeah. And also like, um, but when I started watching it, it was like, warning, violence, gore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, how bad could it actually be though? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, I guess there's a lot of violence in this movie. Yeah. Who would have thought? Because I, when I first watched this movie, it was when I was, I think I was in like grade 10 or something and just going through, I would Google every once in a while Ghibli movies and would just find one and Google it and find a bootleg and watch <laughs> it. So I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> yes. So the next note I have is, those wolves look cool. I like them. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Then just announces himself to the gods. Yes, sir. Because <laughs> uh, she shows up and he's just like, who are you? Right? I am here in the forest. <laughs> like, why are you yelling at he them? Just, I would not be doing this. He has so much just initiative as a character, which is so interesting. Because um, the way Miyazaki describes Ashitaka is so wild. Uh, I actually have a quote from this. Um he says, Ashitaka is not a cheerful, worry-free boy. He is a melancholy boy who has a fate. I feel that I am that way myself. Interesting. Uh, but until now, I have not made a film with such character. Ashitaka was cursed for a very absurd reason. Sure, Ashitaka did something he should not have done, killing Naga. But there was enough reason to do so from the human's viewpoint. Nevertheless, he received a deadly curse. I think that is similar to the lives of people today. I think it is a very absurd thing that is part of life itself. Um, he also describes him as non-human after he gets cursed, um, which yeah. is why the haircutting scene is so important because and, like he covers his face because he's literally nobody after that. Like He's not a person anymore, which is really interesting because he is kind of an audience surrogate in such a way where he doesn't explain anything to you, but he is kind of in himself the metaphor that the movie is trying to get across as uh, translated to, like, all of humanity. Because mm-hmm. when he's, like, going to that uh, town and he tries to pay with, like, the piece of gold, and he's like, what, it's just gold? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone freaks out. Um, and he meets uh, Jigo, who is another interesting character. Um, I don't like him very much. I don't either. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they kind of like start hanging out together because he Gio's just like I guess I'm gonna walk with you now and Ashutoka is like I am neutral towards this interaction <laughs> um, he's like I am a- simply existing and you are here <laughs> along for the ride yeah um so he tells him about his curse, uh, and Jigo responds with something really interesting he says so you're cursed so what everyone is which is really interesting to like I don't know, the whole thesis of the film, I think. Because um, it's an introduction of how his curse is sort of a representation for, like, hatred, evil, corruption, whatever. Whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we see with Naga, the boar that uh, Ashitaka kills in the beginning, and while it can be argued that he was just defending his town, he still commits a violent act um, and spends the rest of the movie trying to rectify it. And we as the audience know that Ashitaka is a good person, but that is exactly what Miyazaki is trying to illustrate um, that there are no inherently evil people, but everyone has the capacity for evil. And in his case, it's represented by like the purple rotting burn type thing, which I think is a very yeah. cool curse. Uh, I love a yeah, good curse. Yeah, it looks, it looks neat. I like physical manifestations of like yes. internal or like 
I just, it's so sick. Yeah. Like when someone has like a, like a scar or a burn or like something is like <laughs> taking over their body. I'm like, oh, there's nothing cooler you can do with someone who has some magical ailment than give them a physical representation. Yeah. Of Everyone should have them. There should be more. Normalize <laughs> physical manifestations of curses in media. You should all have a My Little Pony cutie mark. <laughs> Please, I want to. I'm gonna brand myself with my traumas on my skin. <laughs> my Little Pony cutie marks, but they're for trauma, <laughs> for mental illness. <laughs> Just a brand on your forehead that says depression. Uh, and in Nanga's case, um, they also have like kind of a symbolism of the evil, which is like the little iron ball they find inside its rotting corpse, yeah. which is super fun. Um, but mm-hmm. in each case, it's always depicted as like a physical thing that is outside of themselves but also a part of them um yeah like the corruption is not who they are but it's they are nonetheless like responsible for it mm-hmm. and that's like a really important thing to keep in mind for the rest of the movie because there's a lot of great characters in this movie like mm-hmm. i don't think any of them are really like black and white kind of good or bad kind of thing um which yeah. is really uncommon for this kind of uh eco adventure type movies where like, most of them tend to be really black and white. They're like, this is the bad character and they're doing a bad thing and here's the good guys and they're going to stop them and that's going to fix the world. Um, <laughs> which is kind of unhelpful because this is a really complex issue. <laughs> like, this is the whole ass yeah. planet we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about eco-terrorism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's so much to talk about in this movie. And I feel like I could talk myself in circles forever, but mm-hmm. let's talk about the actual movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. The first time I was introduced to like Iron Town and all that, it's Oof. like it's such a juxtaposition from like every other piece of scenery that yes. you've seen throughout the movie so far. And it's like as soon as I saw it, like I wrote in a note, it was like, ah, the brutalism of industry. Yeah. It's just kind of like just as soon as you're peak imperialism. <laughs> yeah it's like the spikes outside of a fortress Mm -hmm. and like the heavy iron gates and just like and i think it's interesting too that they had like the lepers in the city because that's the thing that makes you not able to categorize lady yaboshi as completely evil then you're like yeah oh Uh. because she takes these women from brothels and gives them a job and she like cleans and cares for these lepers and like she is a good person like she may she wants to destroy the spirit mm-hmm. of the forest to further her gains but it's kind of like well she she'll be in doing that she could expand this industry she has where she's providing better lives for these people who don't have it so it's like it really is like across the board this movie is just gray uh, yeah like there's it's all kinds of gray, baby. All the shades of yeah, gray. Yeah, and they actually do it say. in, like, a good way. <laughs> like, I feel like, uh, especially yeah. in video games, a lot of times they try to make a great character up by being, like, they've done so many awful, horrible, irredeemable <laughs> things, but they did a good thing one time. <laughs> they did a good thing one time. Whereas Lady Eboshi, you actually see her motivation and it, like, you know, makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I just love her as a character so much. She's, yeah, me too. Oh, I love her. Um, but, like, you can just say um, Cerberus Snape. It's okay. <laughs> like, no. He's, he's a badly written great character. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, of course he is. Because JK Rowling herself is a badly written great character. Yep. But, yep. um, anyways. Uh, when Miyazaki was, like, asked about how modern and tough the women in Irontown are, like, the interviewer kind of asked, like, hey, this seems like kind of the traits we see in, like, modern women today. Um, and Mizaki says, like, it's not that I wanted to make it modern, it's just that depicting Irontown under the rule of men would be boring, and if I made the boss of Irontown a man, he would be a manager, not a revolutionary. If it's a woman, she becomes a revolutionary, even if she's doing the same thing. I was like, yeah. Oh, snap. (laughs) Oh, snap. Come on with the feminist perspective. Okay. And I love that all the... Uh, women in the town too are just like so blatantly themselves and it's not like yes. sexism just doesn't exist in this world it's not like yeah. oh that that's not a thing you, when you see the messenger men that come near the end of the battle-ish um 
they're like, you ladies need to learn some manners. <laughs> and they're like, what's that? <laughs> Fuck you, kind of thing. Um, I love, I love all of them. They they're just like, I love how they're just like they make fun of all the guys and they like have their song yeah. that they sing while they're working. Like, and they have like real lady friendships, which is great. Yeah, I also love, um, like they're just like wearing their like little head wraps and their kimonos, mm. <laughs> just like. I'm like the whole time though. I'm like I am looking respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that scene where Ashitaka is like, "Hey, can I do this?" And they're all just like, "Um, okay." <laughs> like that's him like, energy there. <laughs> it is. He's like, "Let me help," and they're like, yeah, "Sure, dude. We can do it better than you, but okay." <laughs> yeah. He's such a simp. He is. He's such a simp. He's that man is nothing but a simp. I love him. I, He's such a good character. I'm excited to see you watch this movie because I'm like, this seems like a character Julia would like. <laughs> he is. He's a really, really interesting character. I enjoyed him. Yeah. I also enjoyed most of the other characters in this movie. Yeah. They were all very good. Um, But yeah, Lady Iboshi, she's like this super great character, but she's in such a, if it was any other movie, it would be such a black and white like she is the villain tm evil bad tm um so you would think of course she has to be the exception to miyazaki's no villains rule um but nope guess what you have to make this the fact that she does genuinely care about these people and has done a world of good uh in creating this community for them like the woman they uh hired to be kind of like their feminist viewpoint um was talking Mm -hmm. about how it's kind of this safe haven for these types of people from the rest of society because anywhere else if you're a woman or you're disabled you are useless (laughs) in the eyes of society kind of thing um and she flips that on its head and maybe uses it too much to her advantage uh and you don't really get to tell uh if that's her sole motivation or not um which Mm -hmm. i appreciate that they kind of say it doesn't really matter it's more the action that matters kind of thing yeah it's really in conflict with any other eco adventure movie because she's not a bad guy tm 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 mm-hmm. like she's not an evil oil yeah baron. she's not just killing trees for funsies or for money or whatever like she does want control but she wants it because she's doing it for the good of the people kind of thing mm-hmm. and like the people she has in her community like they genuinely really care about her yeah like they like, adore lady Eboshi. <laughs> yeah like they uh ajutaka saves those two men um and Lady Bush, she's like, hey, sorry, I couldn't save your husband. And she's like, oh, it's okay, whatever. It's fine. But yeah, Miyazaki's basically saying killing the environment or uh, violence and hatred in general is wrong. But we need to think about the condition that had been put in place to create these kind of people. Because the issue isn't this person is bad and therefore does bad things. It's this person was put into a system that in order to survive... They leaned into the corrupt system to their advantage rather than the harder, more hopeless uh, option, which is to oppose it, which is what uh, Ashitaka and um, San kind of do, because they are this sort of neutral party, because both of them have, in a way, been stripped of their humanity, because Ashitaka is, as Miyazaki describes him, a non-human after he's cursed, because he's like just kind of waiting around to die. So really, there's no expectation placed on him either way, like from the animals or from the humans. They're just like, oh, you're going to die kind of thing. You're just on borrowed time. You got demons in your blood, sir. There's nothing we can do for you. Yeah, and San uh, is neither human nor wolf, as she's described, Mm -hmm. even though she (laughs) says, I am a wolf! (laughs) (laughs) On every level except physical, I am a wolf. I am a wolf. (laughs) But she also is, like, this outcast of society, which is what makes them kind of the perfect team to be this third party that's like, no, I'm not gonna succumb to either side of it. Because in a lot of movies about environmentalism, I feel like they kind of depict nature TM as this, like, neutral party. Whatever happens to them happens to them. But whereas in this movie, it's like, no, there is going to be a fight and there is going to be a war. (laughs) Yeah. Like, especially with the boars, they're like, oh, we, we're we gonna give them a fight even if it kills every one of us because we want them yeah. to remember it kind of thing. I mean, even with, like, looking at nature, I don't understand why nature is seen as such a passive 
mm-hmm. force or anything like that. Because like even when you look, you abandon a building for long enough and it is completely covered in vines and trees and like nature breaks down rocks and it like moves itself into any crack that it can find. Yeah. Like it isn't just a force that's sitting there outside of the cool things that humans built because we're the best thing that ever happened to earth it's like no we're actually i think the worst thing that ever happened to earth have you ever seen what like a stream can do over time Mm -hmm. like it can like cause rock slides because it like frost heaving can pull up fences and like yeah nature's insane it's powerful and it's scary and i think it's really cool that this movie dived so intensely into that even with it being like it's not just that nature is powerful it's that there are gods that are actively going to fight to keep nature that way yeah i also like i just anything with spirits or gods it's just the most incredible lore factory for me like Mm -hmm. i why don't people use it all the time why don't people use it every time they make anything and uh, the Nightwalker, like when the forest god becomes the Nightwalker, like first of all, Night in the Woods vibes. Yes. Did enjoy that very much, but it's just like, oh, it's just so cool. Like, why wouldn't you have a big thing like that walking around every movie you I make? Know. I don't care what your movie's about, just have them in the background. I just want to see yeah, them. No more realistic They're movies. So cool. I'm done with them. No, society has moved past the need for realistic movies. Yeah. Stupid. Get out of here. Also, no more real life movies. Only animation. Yes. We have. Please. Yeah. I think this was actually um Please. the first Ghibli movie that used even the slightest sliver of computer animation. Um Yeah, for the the big boy. Yeah, they used it for um the Nightwalker and they used it I think a little bit for um the demon spaghetti because like that would be such <laughs> an ass to animate. Like are you kidding oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> like the way it wriggles. Ugh. <laughs> I always find it funny when it's like you're watching a 2D animated show and then all of a sudden it's like the big piece of machinery comes up and it's like, mm, yes, the CGI yeah. is here. She is here to save the day. Like in um, one of the funniest examples is always like uh, in Avatar when the drill to get through oh the my walls gosh. of bossing say and it's just Not like this big honking CGI drill. But I feel like this movie does it really like, I don't know, kind of seamlessly. Like I didn't really recognize no, yeah, it as computer animation. It's... I, I did, but only because it's, like, whenever I see a big thing, yes. I'm always just kind of expecting it to be CG, so. Yeah. But it, it looks really good, yeah. though. Like, like it, it, it keeps the consistency, out of place. which is nice. Yeah. It looks better than, like, Howl's Castle, which is, like, <laughs> yeah big old CG thing. Yeah. Not that I'm faulting them on it. Like, it's not... It still looks good. It's just funny, yeah. the contrast. I think they do a really good job of... It's a movie about environmentalism, obviously, but... Yes. He does such a good job of making it. It's not only environmentalism; it's also about industrialism and capitalism, and just mm-hmm. the I don't know humanistic kind of idea of good and evil, and they're all linked together. Yes. Like they're not just like a bunch of separate ideas they deal with on different occasions. They're all part of the same message, I think. While it's definitely a critique on like you know we shouldn't be don't kill the thing you live on, you dumb idiots, yeah. kind of thing. It's more importantly a critique on, like, industrialism and capitalism. And he really makes it clear that the message isn't, like, humans are inherently evil and therefore are killing the planet. It's the need to recognize that there has to be a give and take with nature. Like, there is no, like, oh, just leave nature to do its thing and that's it kind of thing. (laughs) Um, It's way more complex than that. Because although the system sucks, everyone, nature included... Everyone's just trying to survive. Everyone's just trying to, like, live, mm-hmm. please. And though the way the people in the movie, like, of Irontown and Lady Yoboshi, the way they do it might be wrong, you can't fault people for their determination to live. Like, it's an inherent human quality. Yeah. Um, and though these movies <laughs> always kind of beg the question, like, do humans deserve to live? Uh, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> it's still... Debatable. It's still, like, we're here and we're gonna live no matter what, because that's just, like, you know, the human soul is to survive yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it's just, it's kind of like that, like, um, uh, I think that the system we're existing in is bad, yet you still participate mm-hmm. in it. Hmm, fascinating. I am very smart. Like, there's no way 
to get around the fact that to progress, to survive, and to thrive, which everyone wants to do, you do have to at some point negotiate with the fact that you're going to have to participate in the systems that are around Mm -hmm. you. Like, there's not going to be, like, one magic answer to help you. Like, there's no... It's like when you're looking at consumerism, which is a huge thing, obviously. Everyone consumes things. It's like... What are you consuming today? (laughs) Yes, literally we say it in our podcast every week, but it's like, there is no ethical, No ethical consumption under capitalism, TM. Yeah, and I have a bit of a problem with that because I think it's more there is no ethical production under capitalism because... It, it we it, we should start taking the blame away from the consumer and put it on the producer. Yeah. Um but it's yeah, it's like it's like that whole thing in the good place where Chidi thinks he's in the bad place because of his almond milk and stuff like that cuz he's like I knew it was bad, mm-hmm. but I kept drinking it anyways. Like we all need food to survive and it's like either your food is bad for the environment or it's bad for the workers or the transportation of it was bad. Like you're Generally, especially if you're of a lower socioeconomic status, you're going to be consuming something mm-hmm. that isn't good, either good for you or good for the environment or good for the workers or good for something. And that's just the way that the system's been put up. But, like, we need to be in it because it's all that we know. And until everything is changed about it, that's just how it's going to keep being. And it's like, we should work to change it, but that's not something that's going to happen overnight. Exactly. And they really commentate on that uh, here because, like, Especially when Jigo is, like, uh, running off with the head of the horse god or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. He says this interesting line that says, Everyone wants everything, but I might actually get it. Um, yeah. Which is so interesting because, like, although I obviously don't like Jigo, <laughs> like, if I met him on the street, yeah. I'd be like, you're a nasty little man. But You're a weird little guy. Yeah, I like that even though he's not a main character he still gets, like, a motivation for his actions. He's not just, mm-hmm. I just want money. He's, like, because there's this deal or whatever set up by uh, Lady Eboshi kills the forest god. She gets to move on with her plans of, like, getting more iron and supporting her town and flourishing and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives the head to Jigo, who gives it to the king, who wants eternal life. Jigo gets money. That's kind of the setup, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. But, like, it, when you look at it from the capitalist lens or whatever... Um, you would assume that, oh, Lydia Boshi is, like, you know, the corporations or whatever that's doing all the damage, which is, like, kind of true, but I feel like she's more, like, a working class, like, upper working class kind of thing, because she's just, she's playing the game of, you know, this structure that they've been set up in, uh, and she's doing well, but she's not the one that's pulling the strings. I think it's more the the king they talk about that we never actually get to see like he's the reason the emperor, yeah. why this is all happening because he's the one that has the money and he's the one that is sending all these warriors and samurais to like kill all these people in random towns but we never actually get to see yeah. him and just i think is interesting because he, it's really relatable to like you know real life <laughs> uh society because we tend to not really recognize the faces of the people that are causing the most issues like i don't i couldn't list like the top 10 richest people in the world even though they're the ones doing the most damage kind of thing yeah but lady Yaboshi's just while she's not doing it <laughs> for the good of the world or whatever she is doing it for the good of here and now like she's definitely yeah. really short-sighted but she thinks she's doing the right thing for herself firstly and additionally the people around her i think is kind of her viewpoint mm-hmm. uh miyazaki has a great quote about um the kind of whole killing trees things <laughs> he says when you talk about plants or an ecological system or forest things are very easy if you decide that bad people ruined it but that's not what humans have been doing it's not bad people who are destroying forests that was the tagline of the whole interview that this came from <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's the one slur that's destroying the forests. Yeah. Unless. Unless. <laughs> Unless. Um, I, we, we haven't talked about the Kodamas. They are my favorite yes. Ghibli fantastical creature ever. They're little. They're so simple, yet they're so the exact line between cute and creepy. Like, yes. Holy crap. 
<laughs> like the they sound also got they make. Cake. They do. They have a whole ass. <laughs> like I love that they, they have little butts. Basically, no identifiable features except for three holes in their face, but they do have an ass. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why did you feel the need to give them like pronounced butt cheeks? Like this, you're there's like a a sequence where they're following the one guy to like get led to the lake or whatever, yeah. and it's like I'm just staring at this little man's butt like this whole time. I'm like, hello, there, so good, sir. Though. How does this man come up with these things? <laughs> I feel like he probably. Like, a lot of the stuff that I dream, if I was to, um, like, write it down it. and do something with it, yeah, I could probably come up with some similar stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, did Mr. Did you read that book that Mr. Azo Party always told us about in art class? Uh, probably not. <laughs> well, I, I did read it. It's called Big Magic. Um, it's by the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. She's super cool. I oh, like yeah, her. She's I've friends with the McElroys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I read her book, Big Magic, and one of the um, philosophies that she kind of lives by is that ideas present themselves to you because they're always somewhere in the world, mm-hmm. like they're floating around. Because it's kind of like the old Roman concept of genius. It's like you are not a genius, you have a genius. And it's like some of the patrons that they'd worship in their households yeah. was like the genius of the emperor, the genius of the paterfamilias, mm-hmm. um, just like the the patriarch of the house um so your genius is able to collect ideas that you might have and if you don't use them in time they'll go find someone else yeah so it's like you just have to open yourself up for ideas to come and i feel like dreams are a big part of people finding that not that i'm like super into i don't know i'm i'm not like the energy of the universe isn't something that i necessarily subscribe to but it is an interesting concept that I like to ponder with that it's just like if you don't use an idea when you get it it might slip away and I feel like Miyazaki's very good at finding and using those yeah. really weird little ideas that he gets yeah I wish I understood I always find it interesting when people talk about like everything has a frequency and it's like scientifically proven that things everything yeah. vibrates on a different level which I, don't know, I wish I wish I understand that stuff more because <laughs> it sounds like yeah I feel Ley like we're lines, just baby. almost there of understanding everything kind of thing. Like, we're yeah. almost there. But the thing is, though, I feel like capitalism has a lot to do with the fact that we're not yes. experiencing stuff like yes. that. Because we are not able to think about these things. It's like in past times with, like, Renaissance movements. Mm. The only reason that this kind of self-actualization was able to happen is because these men were very rich and had a lot of time on their hands and had people doing everything for them so they could solely focus on finding these ideas and, like, producing amazing things. Yeah, like, if you spend all your brain power just doing your one thing for life, your dream job TM, like, this is the one thing I will do until I die. Like, of course you don't have room to maybe, like, Sit back and reflect for, like, a second. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh. It's like, of course, we're never going to get to, like, the realm of self-actualization because we're still, like, stuck on the third row of Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm. because no one has, like, security or anything because of the world that we live in. That's why, um, I was, my, my old supervisor at, uh, at my old job, she always said, um, she's like, rich people are the ones who are trying to, like, find immortality and stuff because they've done everything else so that's all that they can focus on now because their lives are so perfect Mm -hmm. and they've got everything and they don't have to work so they're like well what we can do now is try not to die ever so that we can keep living like this Uh, it's just like ridiculous. If you if also like if you want to learn more about like Renaissance men and stuff like that, there's a book called Who Cooked the Last Supper. <laughs> Very good. It's about how women did everything behind the scenes so that men could do great things. Anyways, yep. that's a great title for a book. <laughs> yeah, it is a great title for a book. So the ending kind of like lasts. I don't know, fifteen minutes or something. Is yeah. some of the most intense animation I have literally ever seen. <laughs> like, yeah, so many crazy. things happen all at once. Right after Ashutaka is, like, on the brink of death or whatever, they... Mm-hmm. There's so many things happening. I can't even, like, keep them sort in my mind. First of all, everything that happens in the last 15 minutes of the movie is very upsetting, <laughs> but also very yes. cool. 
so moments before we see Okoto kind of calms this fight that's happening between his clan and Ashitaka being like, hey, I did kill your other forest god. Very sorry. He was uh, haunted by demon spaghetti, though. So <laughs> take with that what you will. Um, <laughs> uh, and he's like, you know. Digest that. Yeah. Uh, and Okoto is this very reasonable, like, wise kind of voice being like, uh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Uh, and it kind of like calms his clan. And then, like, not even that long after, he's being, like, corrupted by the same thing that corrupted uh, Naga. Um, and mm-hmm. it's this, like, upsetting transformation. Um, and nothing in this movie freaks me out more than um, the humans pretending to be the boar clan and wearing the boar skin. Like, yeah. that the sagging hollow eyes and when they like have the dark guns come out of the eyes and they just move with this like silent little rustle holy crap <laughs> nothing in this movie is upsetting to me as that um so we go from that to okoto being corrupted by early stage demon spaghetti and it's all like bloody and red uh yeah. already upsetting and bad then son gets consumed by him very upsetting um <laughs> uh and Ashitaka like saves her which feels like it should be kind of the climax because um like the spirit god al- already gets shot once like through the head which is this yeah. jump scare the eyes just go like opposite directions and it's very freaky yeah. um very but it doesn't work so you think like okay it didn't work that's the end of that kind of thing and you think okay he saves on that should be the end kind of thing no then <laughs> it gets shot again Head falls off. Again, very freaky. And everything just goes into this chaos. There's the evil goo. You touch it, you die. Mm-hmm. Consumes everything, yes. floods everything. All the forest is dying. Not good. Very nice. On top of that, oh, no. snatches the head. Very freaky. Not good. Gives it to Jigo. Um, after she does that, the freaking wolf head that got decapitated wriggles up and bites her arm off. And she says, I told you a wolf head could still bite. Right? And I was like, like, oh my gosh. Okay. <gasps> uh, okay. It's, it's so upsetting. <laughs> and at the end, it was a little, I was expecting, um, like, all the trees to just grow back. Right. And, like, everything to go back to normal. Like, that's the ending that I expected. But it's kind of cool that it's just, like, you can see that the forest is going to regrow. Like, it's taken back the land yeah that was destroyed but it's going to take a while and like son even says she's like the forest will go back but it's not his forest anymore yeah and she says like i don't think i can forgive the humans for what they've done which is like very Mm -hmm. unsettling (laughs) um because like i was trying to think like okay where do we in miyazaki's eyes fall on this kind of timeline that he has set up because there's like different stages and you would think that we're probably at like the uh the final battle between the boars and the humans kind of thing but then i was thinking in my opinion i think we're at the part where we better be giving back the forest god his head or we will all be dead right now because giving back the head does not make everything better um like he does a really good job at giving a sense of like this world is going to continue on after they're still going to have problems but kind of the satisfying conclusion is they've made the conscious effort to do better and we haven't reached that part yet we haven't reached the part where we get to have at least the sprouts and the the one kadono shake its head as we fade to credits or whatever we haven't gotten to that point yet i don't think um because there's like a a time limit um towards the end to like you have to give the head back before the sun rises or like that's it we are done it's kind of like the the very definite timeline that climate scientists have given all of the people of the world to be like literally if we do not start to reverse the effects of climate change we're all going to fry Mm -hmm. by 2060 or whatever which isn't a big problem for me because i think i'm just gonna kill myself when i turn 35 (laughs) but um (laughs) the thought of okay this is morbid i guess i don't care Mm -hmm. at this point i really don't care but it's like the thought of living past like 40 mm-hmm. disgusting yeah why why would i live that long yeah i don't want to 
Maybe I'll change my opinion later on, but for now, that is where I stand. Yeah, I think that's the mindset of most people our age. Like, there's, like, a tiny part of me that, like, fucks with being old because I do kind of... If I do have to suffer through the stages of capitalism and eventually retire at, like, 80 or whatever because I'm not going to have enough money to retire <laughs> at 60, um, I do kind of like the idea of being able to just, like, chill for a bit and not have anything expected of me but Mm -hmm. i also think that's too high of a price to pay to get to that point so don't want to do it (laughs) yeah um and like i'm not having kids so i'm not leaving anything behind yeah who cares bye okay anyone to take care of me me in my old age because i don't want to be old anyway i do love though the ending part where uh they're giving up the head and he like wraps his arm around her i just i love romance parts that you can't really clock them as a clear-cut romance plot because like he's like they have the one line uh where um the wolf god is like can you save the girl you love or whatever and that's pretty much the Mm -hmm. main like actual like we said it, he's in love with her. Or, or him whatever. being like, <laughs> "You're beautiful." Wow, you're so beautiful. Like flips her shit. Um, <laughs> that's uh, it's kind of like um, Miles and Gwen in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think they do actually fit well together because it's not the movie isn't about their relationship, but they fit well together, mm-hmm. people, because they're so alike in a way. Because I feel like San has all the ambition and drive that he also has. But he's like this kind of, he's like the Switzerland of people, really. Like this whole movie, he's just running back and forth and no one's really trying to stop him to do anything, but he's just kind of (laughs) there. Um, like I think like several times they're like, who's Yeah, (laughs) But he's a good conduit for all like the energy and passion that she has. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're just, they're just two outcasts fighting the world together, and I think that's really poetic and nice. It is very nice. Yeah. So, to close out, here's uh, Miyazaki on the last conversation they have in the movie, where they're just kind of, like, talking about, like, so, what are you gonna do? And they're like, I guess we'll visit each other, <laughs> but they're not really together together, TM. Um, yeah. So, he says, uh, it is a thorn that stuck in Ashitaka without being resolved. Ashitaka is the kind of person who is willing to live with the thorn. So I think that Ashitaka is a person of the 21st century who decided to live with the thorn. San. He does not say, well, I can't do anything about it. Um, But if Ashitaka says, I'll become a deep ecologist, things are easier, but it doesn't work like that. In our daily lives, things that humans can do to protect nature are limited. And Ashitaka also has a distrust of the human's acts to survive in the ecosystem as a thorn and at the same time he cannot turn a blind eye to people dying from starvation ashitoka has no choice but to suffer and live while being torn between two such conflicts that is the only path human beings can take from now on it really is huh like he represents the balance between humans and nature because they are like yeah as much as people like to say like oh we gotta live in harmony like no matter what you do they are Humans and nature have always been opposing ideas. Yeah. The will to grow and expand and thrive cannot exist in an environment that's one sole purpose is to just preserve. Mm-hmm. There is a quote that I heard recently on Criminal Minds because they have like quotes at the beginning and end of every episode <laughs> from like books and stuff. But um, it was like they say that hunting is a sport, but I don't believe it's so because a sport requires that both sides know that they are playing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they have always been in opposition, humanity and nature. That's why like a whole type of conflict that exists is man versus nature yes like there wouldn't be a man versus nature (laughs) if that wasn't an evident conflict that exists in real life i think one of the coolest things about this movie is that it doesn't just stick to that though yes it is like every single conflict that you could probably think of man versus self man versus industry man versus nature like they're all at some point present and i think that adds to the complexity of like the good versus evil yeah like non-existent narrative that's in yeah, there. Yeah, because the core conflict that's introduced at the beginning and resolved at the end is, you know, technically internal. It's Ashitaka trying to get rid of this 
evil that's been placed within him because we haven't really talked a whole lot about um uh the arm that has like super strength or whatever um as like a representation it's not a focus though it's yeah it's not really it's just supposed to kind of remind you that even this man who's like trying his best and doing his best to keep a balance and preserve everything still has that hatred within him um even though Mm -hmm. he's doing his best to control it kind of thing well thank you for joining us for another mumble hour in our ghibli month um follow us on twitter at mumble podcast uh check us out on apple podcasts uh leave a review leave a rating that would be very cool and sexy of you um if there are any like specific ghibli movies that you're interested in maybe tweet them at us because i could always check them out on one of my weeks Mm -hmm. because i'm just kind of vibing with whatever ghibli movie i want to vibe with so yeah (laughs) that's very fun yeah i really want to do the winter rises but i would like it to be on netflix please (laughs) (laughs) Um, our theme song is In Full Color by Louis Zong on the Here album. And it's really good. And you should check out Louis' Twitter, Bandcamp, and YouTube. That's it. Go do it. Yes. Or a wolf head will um, wiggle up to you and bite your arm off. <laughs> um, as always, links to everything will be in the description. There weren't really any links last week. It's just kind of me in brackets being like, these things are on Netflix. Yeah. Um... Because, like, I can't really link Netflix yeah, stuff because whenever I try, account. it links to my Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you want to link to my Netflix, <laughs> so I'm not putting it in the description. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, we talked about a few more things this week, so I will have Netflix links. Not Netflix. I will have regular links to give mm-hmm. you next week, <laughs> this week. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, that's everything we got for you this week. Uh, we love you. Hope you're staying safe and maybe hopefully in a better mental state than both of us yeah, currently. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. If you're not, that's okay <laughs> too. Take some time to yourself and just. It's okay to be sad sometimes, but also it's okay. also also seek out help. <laughs> yes, that's always fun. There are lots of people who will help you and be there for you, including professionals who are a very good resource if you have access to them. Um, Have a great day or night or morning or anytime. Goodbye. Got brain rot disease terminal. Mm. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Good note to end on. <laughs>